Well, tis the season for self-improvement, right? Tis the season for talking about it, at least, or thinking about it. I've got some, uh, I've made some resolutions, kind of the usual about how you'll see less of me in 2015, which by which I mean that there'll be less of me to see. <laughs> so if you'd have seen me at Calhoun's last night celebrating Ruth's birthday, you think, that ain't going to happen. <laughs> but it was, uh, I, it was the first thing I had since breakfast, so. I, I read about a lady who resolved that people would see more of her in the year to come. By which she meant she's going to be on time to stuff in, to, in the next year and not late all the time. These uh, resolutions, goals, aspirations, really the ones that, the way, this kind of a little bit controversial among, uh, among Christians or Christian leaders. But I think they're perfectly, the ones of a spiritual nature, more of a direct connection to the scriptures and so forth and the, the life we've been called to. I think it, they're perfectly compatible with New Testament instruction. Maybe not the year, you know, the new year and everything, but just the idea of it. Romans 15, Paul says, I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. Well, that's specific to Paul, isn't it? It fits his situation and it fits his gifts. But that's a personal aspiration for him, right? What would, where would the church be if everyone, you know, if everyone in Christian ministry had that ambition? I don't want to go there. There's already a church there. You know, Christ has already been named there. First Timothy 3. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer or elder, if anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. You know, aspire, desire. That's, I mean, isn't that spiritual ambition? Isn't that a personal a spiritual ambition? Which is quite the opposite, by the way, of hoping not to be asked. I, 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 <laughs> but, that's, but there it is. You know, there's a personal ambition, a, a desire, a goal. We might even say a, a resolution of, of some kind. I want to read through. This isn't in the Bible, but... I want to read through the Bible this year. Well, that's the one we were, uh, you know, advocating last year. And it seems quite in line with those biblical examples. I want to make it a habit this year of, uh, to spend the first part of my days uh, with the Lord. Or maybe the last moments of my days. Well, what's wrong with that? I, 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 nothing. <laughs> Nothing is what I say. So I rather encourage New Year's resolutions uh, of that kind. It's certainly better than drifting along year after year without any kind of self-reflection at all, self-examination at all. But there are some things that we really need to understand as Christians, some biblical insights into the nature and limitations of just that sort of thing, that the, the self-improvement and and self-effort. It will help us to avoid frustration in it, um, achieve real change in it. But really, more than that, what I'm thinking is to avoid what the Bible calls vanity. I'm not talking about vanity like, you know, I want to look better to people. 
I want to talk, I'm talking about uh, Ecclesiastes kind of vanity, emptiness, worthlessness, to pour a lot of effort into something that ends up not mean, it's not important at all. It doesn't mean anything. It's empty, that kind of vanity. And so today and, and next week, I, I started with the, like the whole chapter, Philippians chapter 3. That's where we'll be today if you want to uh, turn to it in your own Bibles. But, but I want to I end up dividing it in two. So we'll do it this week and next week. But it, it's a great, as you'll see, and it, you might even come to mind, it's a great goal-setting kind of a passage. And we'll kind of look at the sort of the foundation, kind of the parameters of it and the things that you need need to know in the first 11 verses. And the first thing that you, you, you see this, and we'll walk through it, is to see the, the emptiness and futility of uh, attempting to achieve ultimately valuable ends by fleshly or by which I mean strictly human means. Um and the first, and then the first part of this chapter, there's this, there's going to be this, it's connected to the idea of it, but this strange sounding business, certainly strange to our modern Christian sensibilities, of Paul warning the believers at Philippi about those who would advocate for some sort of self-effort, self-accomplishment as a necessary component of salvation. You know, we've sung about it today. And kind of our focus in the Lord's Supper. But Philippians chapter 3, verse 1. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me, and it is safe for you. Is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. So what's going on? That doesn't sound like something you'd hear at church much. <laughs> You're familiar with the passage, but, you know, people, we don't talk that way. What's going on? Well, from the earliest days of the church, there were Jewish people who were willing to embrace the idea of Jesus as Messiah. Yes, Jesus is the promised Messiah, but they were unwilling to recognize that embracing Jesus as their Messiah meant the total repudiation of, of the effectiveness of self-effort in obtaining God's approval. They could, okay, Jesus Messiah, all right, I got that. But no, you still have to obey the law. You still have to do your part. What they kind of weren't willing to see is that people who need a Savior need saving <laughs> they need rescuing they just don't need a little extra boost over the top you know just that little extra that they're lacking people who need a savior need saving they need rescuing paul says by the works of the law this is for them by the works of the law no human being will be justified in his sight that's what paul's saying that's the gospel but there were, there were those, and they're the ones Paul's right talking about here, who said, no, they, they just disagreed on that point. They said, no, uh, the righteousness of God, you know, is, it, you know it's necessary to uh, obey the law and be, have a righteousness from the law. And, and as well as accept you, you can accept Jesus, but you still have to be righteous by the law. 
Romans 3 again, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets, we read Old Testament, bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. And there were those who self-identified as Christian. Yes, I'm a Christian. Yes, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ who said, no, righteousness comes by faith in Jesus Christ and obedience to the law. It's not a both and. It's it's not an either or, rather. It's a both and. You do both of them. And as happens sometimes when a really big issue like that can kind of become crystallized in, in one in one kind of single and narrow issue, that came to be male circumcision. That kind of stood for the whole thing. It became the, you know, like the identifying issue. Tell us where you are in that. We know which side you're on in this debate. And some in the churches that Paul is addressing, talking about here, says it's faith in Jesus and if you're a male being circumcised according to the law of Moses because that's the sign of being a member of God's covenant set apart people. It was kind of like saying a Gentile can, can become a Christian under the terms of the new covenant, but then he has to become a Jewish proselyte under the terms of the old covenant too. And, the, and that's what Paul's talking about here. And the force of his words jar us. Don't they? Beware the dogs. Beware the evil workers. He doesn't say, Now I know there are some people in the church who don't have quite my view, who don't really exactly share my view of this whole role of self-effort and salvation. No, it's not like this. It's not a congenial conversation to debate between, you know, with mutual respect here. He says, Watch out for the dogs in your midst. And don't, and you've probably heard this before, but don't imagine your pet's dog at home. That's not the kind of dog he's talking about. I, I think the closest I've ever really with my own eyes and experienced the kind of dogs Paul is talking about when we, is on our mission trips to uh, Mexico, when Mexico seemed, you know, reasonably safe for a mission trip. When we would go to Mexico for a week, the I think the kind of dogs Paul was talking about were all over the place. Uh, feral, scrawny, suspicious, snarling, mean, garbage-eating, carcass-eating, <laughs> ugly dogs, curs. And that's the comparison Paul's making. Beware the dogs. Beware the evil Doers, workers of evil is really what it says. Workers of evil. Because, why are they workers of evil? Because their way of understanding or misunderstanding the gospel hollows out the gospel. It takes the, it takes the substance out of the, of the gospel. I mean, it, it just, their way of understanding it like you got to, yes, accept Jesus, but then you also still have to do all those things to maintain your righteousness before God, maintain your approval before God. It makes it just one more, one more way of all the religions in the world then and yet to come and still now that proposes a way that we can earn or fight or meditate or think 
or chant or sacrifice or good deed our way to God or to heaven or to nirvana. You know, it's just one more like all. Where's the good news in that? Here's one more way. We've already we've got hundreds of them now. Here's another one. That's good news. No. Paul calls out those who would kind of neuter the gospel like that and says they're they're very what they're advocating is evil it is evil to advocate for what they advocate for Jesus plus human performance is what it takes to gain God's approval and he goes on he calls them he says in effect here the, the translations are different it really says they are the circumcision uh, the one I, the English Standard said, they are the mutilation. Uh, the uh, uh, New American Standard, I think, they are the false, their false circumcision. It just says the circumcision, but he, he says in effect there, you know, they call themselves the circumcision. In other words, the set-apart ones, they're the set-apart ones. But I call them the mutilation, <laughs> The point is, this is not nice talk. (laughs) This is not nice talk. He's adamant on the point. Anyone who diminishes the grace of God and salvation by adding a requirement of self-effort, self-achievement, law, obedience, is an enemy of the gospel itself. And then you see this repudiation of self-effort and the way he describes himself and true believers philippians 3 3 for we are the circumcision who worship by the spirit of god and glory in christ jesus and put no confidence in the flesh we're the true circumcision new american standard we're the ones who have truly been set apart by god not by anything we we're the ones who are really set apart not by ourselves. And here are our identifying marks who worship by the Spirit of God. So what I think of when I hear that worship by the Spirit of God. What, you know, what kinds of other ways could we put that? Now, what does it involve? Well, who are indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God, who prompts their worship, who gives them the appetite for worship. You know, people don't have the Holy Spirit. They don't get worship. They don't get it. They don't get why God would want it. They don't get why people would want to do it. They don't understand. That. But if you have the Holy Spirit, He gives that to you, that appetite, that prompting. The very prayers that we pray, the Bible says, are translated to God with, by the Holy Spirit with groanings too deep for words who's very crying out to God as our Abba, Father, is prompted by the Holy Spirit, who come in the Spirit into God's Holy of Holies, boldly before the throne of grace, who worship in the Spirit. That's our identifying mark, one of them, who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus, who ascribe, this kind of been a theme today, who ascribe all of their salvation to Christ Jesus, who, who glory in Him. They don't have anything left for themselves. 
You know, we give all glory to God, all glory to Christ. There's just nothing left to kind of pat ourselves on our on the back for doing our part so well, too. And put no confidence in the flesh. Another New Living Translation here says no confidence in human effort. And that's the crux of it, isn't it? The enemies of the gospel place confidence in human effort in salvation, in gaining God's approval. And Paul says the, the truly set apart ones don't do that at all. And then Paul, it seems to me, he kind of anticipates uh, an argument that might be made. Now, here I'm putting, you decide whether this is right. I'm kind of putting something, not as something into the inspired text, but I'm saying this is the objection that Paul sees coming in the verses that are, that are, uh, that are coming up. They say, well, maybe you can't have confidence in your own efforts at obeying the law, at achieving salvation, achieving righteousness, but I can't. Maybe the problem is you just don't have what it takes. That you don't have the strength of, of will. You don't have enough willpower to, to make it. We do. You just don't have what it takes in your moral constitution. You don't, you don't have the moral fiber to really be righteous. But speak for yourself. You know, don't, don't just, don't, just because you can't do it, don't say it. None of us can do it. That's, that's what I think goes between. Because here's Paul's answer. Verse 4 through verse 6. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. And here's the, here are the credentials. Circumcised the eighth day. Just like the law of Moses, his parents took care of it. He's raised in a, in a law-observant home of the people of Israel. Got the right race. Of the tribe of Benjamin. An honorable tribe. And I would put it, not put in there. I don't want to say I'm putting things. But when I see, he points out of the tribe of Benjamin, it's like, you know, I come from a, a really noble tribe within Israel, within the right race. Unlike maybe some of you, <laughs> whose, whose family history is, shall we say, a bit more checkered. <laughs> a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. He's saying, don't get me wrong. This, when I say I put no confidence in the flesh, I don't take a back seat to anybody when it comes to law compliance. Law of Moses compliance. Brought up in it, right pedigree, tribe, you know, the race, the, the chosen people, the Benjamin, tribe of Benjamin, noble tribe. I was a Pharisee, righteous of the righteous. You know, in other words, I was a Pharisee. I was a stickler. I was one of those sticklers. I was one of those who tithed on the on the spices in the window boxes. I was one of those who strained out, strained my drink through a cloth, so just on the odd chance I might accidentally ingest an unclean animal, a little gnat or something. I was, I kept myself meticulously 
clean, ceremonially clean. I, I was an active Pharisee. You know, I was a persecutor of the church. I wasn't just like in theory. I was a defender of the truth as I saw it, and I, and I suppressed error as I saw it. He says, as to the righteousness under the law, blameless. Nobody could bring a charge against me. Now that, I want to kind of pause here because that right there tells us something important about what it means to say that we put no confidence in the flesh. And it's worth thinking about just a little bit and kind of pausing in a way that we might not normally in this passage. Because before we can understand what it means to say we have no, we put no confidence whatsoever in the flesh, we have to admit that what he's saying here is that human effort, the sheer human willpower can accomplish a whole lot. You can become very outwardly righteous by the mere exertion of your will. Or somebody can. People can. Paul did it. His parents, all the Pharisees did it. When Jesus said, unless your righteousness surpass that of the Pharisees, you'll not enter the kingdom, people didn't think, well, that'll be easy. Those guys are evil. No, they were like, wow, if, if better than they are, they are so, they're the most religious, most conscientious, most meticulous in their observance of law. They're over the top. And, and before we th- kind of leave this, over the centuries, how many thousands of self-identified Christians have lived their entire adult lives in Christian monasteries, say, spending hours and hours a day in prayer, living lives of exemplary sacrifice and service, who really tragically were complete strangers to the gospel. For that matter, how many millions of people have done something like that in the context of non-Christian religions? And occasionally, in the service of no religion whatsoever. Putting no confidence in the flesh does not... It can't mean, you know, from this context here, it cannot mean that by the sheer exertion of your will... You cannot resolve, or it's impossible for anyone to resolve to read through the Bible in a year. Or you won't be able to pray every day. Or that you won't be able to improve yourself in some way. That's false. Paul said, I was all over, you know, yes, you can in the power of your flesh, just as, a, just as part of your humanity, you can will to do these things. You can. Well, one of the truths of human nature that sometimes disheartens me and sometimes encourages me as a pastor, depending on the circumstances, is this. 
that people do what they want to do and they do it all the time. <laughs> now, don't lose me when I, you're thinking about some exceptions to that. You know, you know, well, if you're in the hospital, you can't come to church. You know, <laughs> you know don't, 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 yeah, I know there are exceptions. But generally, when people tell me why they don't or why they won't or why they can't or why now is not the best time, I know, and I've known it a good many years now, the deeper, truer reason is they don't want to. At least enough. <laughs> and, and, and I'm the same way, of course. I'm not saying it's true of you and not true of me. But that thing we tell ourselves we want to do, but we just can't get around to somehow, or, or the thing we tell ourselves that we'll do someday, listen, listen. After you're, Ed was saying, I hope Pastor encourages today, he thought his Sunday school class was kind of, you know, a, a dark side truth. <laughs> I don't know that this is it. <laughs> this is the encouragement. But when we're telling ourselves something like that, I'll do it someday when things go right. You know, that's where I really want to do. I never have been able to listen. After a year or 10 or 50, <laughs> the truth is we just didn't want to. There, there were other, well, we wanted to somewhat, but there are other things we wanted more. We wanted to watch TV more. We wanted to eat junk food more than what we, you know, that. Everybody does what they want to do. And you can see how that can be a depressing thought. But on the other hand, you can, I think what Paul, Paul's testimony here is that you really can do what you want to do. But just setting your mind to it. Paul is saying, I, I was a champ at it. Now, I'm taking so much time here because I think sometimes when we read, we put no confidence in the flesh. We read that biblical phrase, we put no confidence in the flesh. We assume that it means that it's impossible to do good things or, you know, to pray or read our Bible or whatever out of the simple exertion of our will. And there's no use in developing a stronger will because, you know, it doesn't work anyway. You can't, you can't do it. And if we happen to have been successful, that must be because we were empowered by the Holy Spirit. It must be because we did it. We were able to read through the Bible in the air. We were able to pray. We were able to do this, establish a habit. We must have been, must have been God. It couldn't be me because we put no confidence in the flesh. But what we see in the context here is Paul is, man, that's not it. You can do a whole lot by the exertion of your will. Really, the church would be better off, and you'd be better off if we had stronger wills rather than weaker. That do, that's not what it means to say we put no confidence in the flesh. What does it mean? Well, what can't you do? You can pray every single morning, every single night, whatever you decided to, if you want to. You can read your Bible if you want to. You can come to church if you want to. You know you, you know, you can do a lot just because you want to. But what is what remains outside our reach, outside our experience, no matter how much willpower and resolve we bring to it? That's the next verses, 17 through 
7. Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. You don't get Christ. This is it. You don't get Christ by being a good person or by trying hard to be a good person. You remain a stranger to him. You remain outside him. You can achieve out of the... Anyone can, by this just exertion of your human will, a righteousness that can really impress other people. The Pharisees did. And... You can get really a righteousness, the Pharisees did this too, a righteousness that Im- intimidates other people. But you don't get the righteousness of God. A God's righteousness is able to fill in the chinks and the seams that people can't see. And it not, not only God not only sees what other people can't see, He sees the dark places in our souls where even we have become unable to see. You think, you think you know yourself all that well? Well, think of it this way. Almost everybody you'll ever meet thinks they're pretty good people. Well, we're blinded to ourselves, aren't we? And the reality is that the very best of human goodness, what Paul says here, isn't worth anything more than a pile of rotting stinking garbage compared to the very righteousness of God himself that can only come by faith in Christ, not by self-effort at all. To get to that, you have to let go of that righteousness by self-effort stuff. And those who have invested heavily in it and are kind of have some sense of accomplishment in it, it's really, really, it can be hard. I was, uh, my last visit this year at uh, NHC, I, I, I was ill last Tuesday. I thought it would be better not to go to NHC and coughing and hacking and everything. So I lost the last uh, weekly visit. But the one bef- the Tuesday before that, I went into a room, a very uh, affable gentleman and he said to me, you know, I inter- I'm a volunteer. I just said what I say when I come into a room. And he said, well, thank, good, thank you for coming. He said, uh, what's the good news? <laughs> Since I'm so sharp, you know, I recognize that as an opening for the gospel. So I told him the good news. I said, I said something like the good news that God sent his son into the world to bear our sins and those who just accept him by faith and by trusting in him are saved from their sins. And for those who do, you know, because of where we were in the situation, for those who do, I said there's coming a day when there won't be any need for an NHC because there'll be no crying, no mourning, no pain, no sickness, no death. And that's the good news. And he said he kind of put his finger in the air. And we've got to be good. 
I said, but we're not good. And he said, very true. So we've got to try harder. <laughs> and we talked, we talked like that. Uh, you know, I said, I said, you're missing the point. That's why we need a Savior. <laughs> Because we're not good and we can't, but as much as we're able to improve, we, we can't improve enough. We, 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 by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. So we talked like that and the uh, therapist came in and, you know, there was other things going on. They're about to carry him off to, to physical therapy and, and I'm kind of making my way back toward the door and saying my goodbyes and and he said, and he didn't seem delusional. You know, some people there at NHC can be memory loss issues and things like that. He didn't seem addled. He didn't seem delusional at all. He was very, you know, cogent in the conversation. Although he said he might be delusional because I was leaving. He said, young man, I, uh, so maybe he was, you know, maybe. <laughs> he said, young man, I thank you for your visit. Thank you for your inspirational words. And I'm going to take them to heart. And I'm going to try extra hard <laughs> to be good. And I'm at the door back and I said, just believe. <laughs> I said, just believe. <laughs> now, whatever was going on there notwithstanding, <laughs> I've thought about that a lot. Pray for the man. I don't know. Whatever was going on there, it can be hard to let go of that pride of human accomplishment, of that sense of moral, you know, self-esteem that is incompatible with the gospel. <laughs> you know, he might try extra hard to be good. And by Paul's example, he really could do it. He could. But here's what Paul is saying. That's not where Jesus can be found. The righteousness that comes from God comes comes from God is by from faith in Jesus Christ, and it is trans it is soul deep transformational in a way that human effort cannot approach. Here's you, you can read through the Bible by an act, by just the sheer act of your human will and you know what you ought to but you know what you can't do you can't give yourself an appetite for it you can't make yourself hear the voice of god in it you, you it won't nourish your soul if god hasn't put it in you <laughs> For your soul to be nourished by the Word of God. You, you can make yourself come to church. You really can. You can make yourself. Believe me, you can. No, I'm, I'm, I want to every week. <laughs> you can make yourself come to church or someone can make you come to church. But you know what you can't do? You... You can't enter this ex experience that we call worship. Oh, you can sing songs. You can sing songs. But you can't make your heart sing them. 
That came by faith. That came by something God did in you. You can observe worship. You can enjoy it. You can certainly endure it. But you don't really enter into it unless God has done a work in you. You can be nice to the people there and genuinely like some of them. You, you, but you cannot know what this thing is that the New Testament calls fellowship, the sharing of the experience of Christ. By the mere exertion of your will, you can't get at the, the kernel, the essence of your spirit. You can only work on the window dressing, you know, the, the appearance, the, the outward. You can manage your behaviors if you're strong enough, but you can't get at your heart, which the Bible says is black with sin, and he makes it righteous and holy. That's... That's what it means when we say we put no confidence in the flesh. All the heart transformational stuff is something that happens to us, not something we accomplish. And you see, in the purpose, what Paul's explains purpose, I'm, I'm running out of time and I don't want to, uh, I want to get to the end of this. Look at the purpose, the outcome of embracing the gospel. You see that same thing. Verse 10. That, verse 10, yes. That, that's, that's a purpose word, isn't it? It's a result word. Here's the outcome of it. Here's the purpose of you know, giving up all that self-reliance and, and uh, embracing this, this uh, faith in Christ. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection, and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Four things there, real quick. He's kind of like four purposes. That I may know him, Jesus Christ himself. That I might know the power of his resurrection. That I might share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. And that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. You know, what's, you know what that is? That's, if you're in Christ, that's your life story. That is your life story. You came to know Christ initially. You know, we all have different stories. But what they all have in common if you're in Christ, is that you came to know Christ in a kind of a personal, one-on-one kind of a way. There's a vital relationship between Jesus Christ and the individual believer. You, you don't get that by being extra good, by trying extra hard to be good. It doesn't, it's just not part of it. Secondly, we live this life, this Christian life, of being sanctified by his resurrection power. And notice that he speaks of the experiencing the power of a resurrection before he speaks about death. And before, you know, it's, it's a, you know, you know Christ, resurrection power, death, you know, suffering and death, and then resurrection. Why is resurrection not just at the end? It's the resurrection power now that is active in 
this life we've been called to, and it's the power of Christ that can get to your core, who brings spiritual life where there is spiritual deadness. Gives you a love for him, love for his word, for his people. It's this power that causes your heart to be full when you've poured it out in worship. And that kind of thing just doesn't happen by straining harder at it. By trying harder. The fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, right? The fruit of the Spirit. I can say, I can make myself be nice, say nice things to people who are mean to me, say. I can't make myself love them. But there's something God can do in me. The fruit of the Spirit is love. And then it's... So to live as a Christian, let me just just finish that. It is to invite resurrection power to come into motion in our lives. That can't come by... We can't just try hard and get there. Then it's sharing his sufferings even to the point of death. Who would want to do that? Well, you know what? Only someone in whom God has done something and is working. It isn't natural. But Paul is saying, if it's part of knowing Christ, it's part of having Christ. If it's part and parcel with being in Christ, bring it on because I want Christ. I'm all about Christ. For him, it's not a means. Christ is not a means to some other end. He's not a Christian so that he'll get to be, you know, self-fulfilled or rich or... He's not in it for anything else. He's just in it for Christ. And then in the last phrase, we're beyond death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. You know, it would make... That's a hard phrasing there sometimes for some of us but listen you'd make total nonsense out of Paul if you thought he was saying here boy I hope I make it (laughs) gee I hope I'm just trying everything I can hoping that something will result in me being resurrected after I'm gone no any interpretation like that although you could put that on it just makes total nonsense of of, uh, taking Paul as a body but you know what he's saying whatever it takes whether if it's life, if it's death, if it's hardship, if it's abundance, whatever it takes, I'm in because the main thing is Christ. And I know that to have Christ is to have a share in his resurrection. It's not a, he's not a means to some other end. So I'll end. Yes, improve yourself this year. I'm all for it. And you know what? I, I don't want to put too fine a point in, on this, but everyone else is for you too. <laughs> yeah, go for it. Improve yourself. We'll all like it. And don't sell yourself short either. You know, you really can. Don't sell yourself, well, if people don't. We put no confidence in the flesh. I can't do that. Yes, you can do that. But on your self-improvements that relate directly to your faith put no confidence in them whatsoever to take you where you really want to go 
That's not how you get there. It's not how you got there, and that's not how you press in on it. Don't take me out of context. But don't read the Bible, or don't pray more, or don't attend worship more consistently, or don't get serious about that particular sin, you know the one, or get serious about that particular missing uh, virtue or service. Don't do it. To attain God's approval. You've already got that. If you have Christ. And don't do it to impress other people. That's hypocrisy. And don't do it. So that God will be obligated to be better to you. That's not the deal. (laughs) And don't even do it just to feel better about yourselves. Do it, whatever it is for you, because that's where knowing Christ is to be found. (laughs) For knowing Him better is to be found, or loving Him more. I mean, that's where His sanctifying resurrection power is to be experienced. That's where communion is. Uh, Do it because you... Your relationship with the Lord is the best part of your life right now, and you want more of that best part. Father, first, and for the lesser part, give us uh, more steel in our wills to choose the better things, the higher things, the nobler things as we go through the years of our lives. Help us to be discerning and wise so so that we don't take putting no confidence in the flesh as an excuse for being weak-willed and easily put off the narrow path. And yet, Lord, when it comes to knowing you and experiencing the transforming power of Christ's resurrection as we live and embracing suffering with you and for you when it comes and holding fast to the hope of the resurrection and the faith of death itself, we put no confidence in the flesh whatsoever. It's all because of you, what you've done for us in Christ. May we know you better, serve you better, love you more in the year to come. Increase faith in every believing heart today for your glory and our blessing. Let it be born in any who are outside of Christ now. Again, for your glory and for our blessing, we pray in Jesus' name.